All right, my name is uh, Joe Novak. I am the discipleship pastor here at Mission View, and I'm excited to be here in front of you bringing the word to you. But before we do so, I, I want to share Pastor Matt. Um, his daughter is actually getting married this afternoon, which is really exciting, so that's why he's not here and I'm filling the pulpit. Uh, but we're really excited for Addie and Noah. Um, and yeah, you know, they're, they're leaving their family and building a new family, so it's, it's really exciting. So they're busy. The Hout family is, I'm sure, extremely busy right now getting things ready and settled in. So I want to share a little bit because I think this is, I, I don't get oftentimes to share what, what my experience has been here at Mission View, but I, I really felt led to share that this morning because I think Mission View Church is like in a really exciting place at the moment. I don't know if you guys feel that, but I definitely do. So I just felt like I wanted to share. So before I came here on staff, uh, I got the chance to kind of visit, and I, me and my wife came to visit. We were, we were being interviewed. We were kind of seeking the Lord and wondering whether or not God was going to call us here or not. We were asking that question, like, do you want us here, God? Do you, um, do you want us to be a part of this ministry at Mission View Church and help lead it forward? And so we're here. We come. I remember we were sitting right over there, me and my wife. Um, in that little section, and we're here, you know, and then they start talking about this new building that they're thinking about purchasing. I had heard through the interview process, like, they're thinking about a building, and I'm like, okay, I didn't really know all the details. I just heard there was a building in the talk, so I was like, cool. So then they passed around a plate, and it was like a special offering for purchasing this uh, abandoned building over on Maple Street, okay? And at the end of the service, it was an awesome message. At the end, you know, Pastor Matt came back up here and announced, hey, we just purchased the entire building in cash. We have enough money from this offering to purchase the entire thing. And it was really exciting. I was like, whoa, that just happened here? Like, there's not that many people here. Like, you know, that was my thinking for that much money. I was like, wow, okay, there is something going on here where the Lord is in it. The Lord wants this to move forward if something like that was going to happen. And these people sitting in these chairs were willing to give of their financial resources towards the ministry of Mission View Church. So immediately I was like, okay, there's something here where we can start a ministry and continue a ministry that's already been started uh, in North Canton, in Stark County, amongst the 200,000. So all that to say, I ended up coming here to Mission View Church, and I got put on something called the Dream Team, and where we started dreaming about what this building could be for our congregation. And we're dreaming, we're sharing ideas, blah, blah, blah. You know, it's it kind of fun to work in that, you know, overarching dream space of what this building could be. I was like, okay, this is interesting, uh, cool. This is all back in 2020, the summer of 2020, okay? Obviously, at the same time, there's COVID stuff happening. And that was crazy, right? Um, and it kind of slowed our building campaign and our building process down by about six months. We started getting behind on things just because it's like, okay, COVID, we don't know what's going to happen, right? So all that's happening. Now we decide to move the offices to right across the street from the, the building. And I now have a window and get a front row seat towards the renovations that are happening. And I, I get to sit there. I'm, I'm preparing this message. I'm looking out the window and I see cranes. I'm like, oh my goodness, this is this is really exciting, you know? So I, I want to share with you what Mission View, what Mission View is doing right now. It is extremely exciting. There is, there are things happening. There's momentum here. God is moving, and I am so blessed. Me and my wife are so blessed and excited to be a part of all of it. Um, but as I'm walking through the building, I, I get to walk through it like 
once, once a week or so, maybe sometimes twice if I really get excited. And as I'm walking through, I'm starting to see studs. I see electrical outlets going in. We have the second floor of concrete all poured. There, I was on the roof uh, this week, and they have three-quarters of the roof totally done. And I'm like, okay, like we are making progress, and construction just started in June on this abandoned building that was basically a shell. It had four walls, and that was it. And I'm like, wow, we're moving quickly, right? And so here in the spring, I mean, we're going to start thinking about moving into the building. We don't know an exact date yet, but we're moving in that direction. And let me just say, every time I walk through that building now, you know what my overwhelming feeling is? It's shock, and it's like, this is surreal to me. I remember the dream world of like, oh my gosh, we could, you know, children's ministry up there, but, but where can adults meet over here? You know, we're talking about all this stuff, but it's, it's coming to life, and I'm literally walking through, and I'm like, oh my gosh, we're going to be worshiping here in this auditorium soon. And it is literally so surreal. So I wanted to share that with you um, because I know many of you probably have not walked through the building yet, but I know on Saturday mornings when the men get together, they got an opportunity to walk through the building. If you ask our elders, you can set up an appointment and go walk through the building. You're allowed. I'm, I probably just gave, gave Todd and Pat a lot more work, but hey, you know, go ask them. Because I think the more of us that experience some of this, it's like, okay, this is where we're going to worship soon. And it's, it's literally, for me, it is surreal. I don't know what your guys' emotions will be when you do walk in and when we are in there. But uh, it, it's going to be a different space, but extremely exciting. So I just wanted to share that with you. And if you are new to Mission View Church, um, you can go on our website. You can look up Basecamp. That's where you'll see pictures of the renovation process. You can come be a part of it because I... I'm so pumped that I get to be a part of it. I get to give towards it. I feel like I'm building this building. You know, it's not just me. It's obviously a ton of us, but I'm like, this is exciting. So I want you to be a part of it. If you haven't joined us, um, go check it out at Basecamp on our website, missionviewchurch.org. So without, with that, I just wanted to share that, but we have much more important work to do this morning, and that is to open our Bibles to Titus chapter 3, and we're going to learn and dive into the Word and be fed this morning for our week. So I'm so excited. And we'll be Titus chapter 3. This is the last week of our lasting leadership series. Um, and I want, while you're opening your Bibles there, I want to share with you what we're going to learn from Titus chapter 3. All right, this is the big idea. So we as Christians, Titus 3 is going to tell us, we need to be relating to society by remembering our Christian duty through the power of the gospel, which brings biblical unity. That's what we're going to learn this morning, all right? And we're going to dive deeper into it. So um, with that, let's pray, um, and we'll start going into it. Lord God, uh, thank you so much for this congregation. Thank you so much that this, this body of believers cares and loves the city of North Canton, uh, their friends around them, their families, and all of that, not just so that they could experience good and lasting relationships. That's part of it, that, a blessing that you give us. But, but ultimately, it's for your glory, Lord. It's for your glory. You are good. We thank you that we get the opportunity to uh, love a community like this, love our circle of friends and, and work relationships. We thank you for all of that. But Lord, as we learn how to live and relate to this society that we live in today, we submit our um, behaviors, our 
the things that we love to do all to you, Lord. That you will come into our uh, spirits and into our minds and change us and help us to, to be the way you want us to be and act in the way you want us to be, Lord, all for your glory, for the expansion of your kingdom and gospel message. It's in your Son, Jesus Christ's name that we pray. Amen. So I need to say this. Uh, verse 8 in our passage is going to be the key to understanding chapter 3. All right? Verse 8 says this. The very end of it, the very last sentence of verse 8. I'm going to skip the beginning just, just for a moment. These things are excellent and profitable for people. So everything that Paul is going to start talking about, he says, these things are excellent and profitable for people. Okay? This is giving us the context of chapter 3. So the context of chapter 2 was that Paul was teaching Titus how the Christian church should act towards one another. Right? He, he listed out some behaviors. He said the power that for all of this is the Holy Spirit and the gospel, and Jesus is the one that gives you the power to do all these things. Right? And he talked about how the church should be acting with one another. Now, chapter 3 Paul kind of changes the theme here and he starts saying, okay, now you church, how should you be relating to the society all around you, right? And we know that from verse 8. He says, all these things that I'm telling you are profitable for all the people around you. So that's, that's like the key to understanding this chapter. Um, and so that's why this is our theme this morning. You know, how do we relate to the society around us? So we're going to start in the first three verses. So read with me, Titus chapter 3, verses 1. Three. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others, and hating one another. So verse 1, it, it just hits us right away, right? With a list of all these things we're supposed to do, right? And we've talked about this, right? It's all through the power of the Holy Spirit that we can make these things happen. So it's not us. So keep that in mind. But I want to dive briefly into the list just by focusing on the first one. Remind, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities. So Obviously, there's something going on in Crete. This is where Titus is in the church in Crete, in this little island in the Mediterranean. Um, there's something going on where the church was trying to be uh, disobedient to, uh, to the authorities or uh, to the rulers, right? To the government, really, is how we would sum that up today. And so we don't know what that is, so we, don't, we can't really tell. But we, we have to remember that in the whole context of Scripture— how do we interpret the, these things? Because now we can take this for today, right? The Holy Spirit has given us the word of God where this is a command, yes, for the Cretans and the Cretan church, but at the same time, we can take this as a command because it's the word of God for us, right? So how do we obey our government and rulers? We got to remember that God has set up an ultimate authority structure. And what is that? First and foremost, we have to submit and obey God in that one, part of that is not sinning, right? And even if someone is trying to push you into sin and you're supposed to be submissive to that, no, right? So if the government is starting to 
try to push us in direction of sin or immorality, a, a structure that God would say for us is this is ultimate moral authority or my authority, we must, as Christians, stand against the government sometimes if they're trying to push us in those things, right? So all this to say, how do we do that, right? There are times where, you know, there's a, there's a ton of books. You can read Erwin Lutzer if you're interested in stuff like this. He's a, he's a great cultural advocate and a pastor that kind of gives good recommendations for these things. He's got a couple books about it. So go check out Erwin Lutzer on some of those things if you're interested. But I must say this. I mean, we need to use our voting power, right? We're Christians, and we have the power to, to vote. So we need to go and be present in the polls and do those things. Stand up for God's laws and God's authorities when we have the opportunities. So go do that. But I also want to say this. Because, and I, I feel like I need to be absolutely clear. Because I've seen this, uh, I've seen this before. Christians start to get way, way, way too into politics sometimes. Politics is not everything we're supposed to be a part of. Our role is ministering the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world and to our community. So I, I want to say that because it's important, right? Politics are not the thing we are supposed to worship. We worship God and his word not politics. So, identifying as a Republican or Democrat does not make you a Christian. Identifying as a follower of Jesus Christ does. Right? There is a massive difference. And sometimes, we, the church in America, get a little bit too much into our own American little ideas, and this is the way it should be. And yes, we need to vote in all those things in the proper way. But whether you're a, a Democrat or a Republican, it does not matter. That is not your Christian identity. Your Christian identity is foundational on Jesus Christ alone. Right? Romans 10, 9 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That is your Christian identity. Right? Republican and Democrats or a presidential ruler they do not have the power to save you from your sin. They don't, period. They do not have that power. So don't worship them like they do. It's very important. I need to say that. All right, uh, verse 1 and 2 um, says, you know, Paul, Paul's telling the Christians in Crete, he says, to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy. Why? Why? Because we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others, and hating one another. This is why. And like the Cretans, we also were once foolish, disobedient, hating one another. This is who we were before Christ. This is who we were before we surrendered our lives to Christ. So when the Holy Spirit enters you, he does this thing called regeneration. He regenerates your spirit, your soul, and, and he brings you alive, right? And now you have a different motive. You have a different way of being, right? There's still sin and acts of sin, but he has brought you alive, made you a new 
creation. This is what happens. And because of who you were, you need to start moving into how do you relate to the rest of society? How do you behave? Because of who you were, now you're changed. Your behavior starts to change. I want to share real quick. When I, when I first became a Christian, I, it was in college, and it, it didn't just happen like a turn on the switch. Like it was like turn on the switch, and all of a sudden I was a light to the world. I got to be honest, it did not happen that way, and it will not happen to you if you haven't accepted Christ yet. It just won't. Right? We're all not there yet right? until Jesus Christ returns. We are not there yet, and that's okay. But when you uh, accept Christ, right, how do you then start moving into the direction of Christ's likeness or change? Well, for me, a couple things had to start happening. I mean, I noticed that when I became a Christian, all of a sudden my desires and the things I wanted were different than they were. I started not liking the things that I used to love. I'm like, ah, oh, this doesn't really taste the same as it did, right? That kind of idea. It's like, ah, oh, when I do that, I don't feel that anymore. I don't feel the same as I did. I don't, you know, and so these things start to change, right? And as you start diving more into, into your word, learning more of the way God wants you to behave, and even diving into Christian community um, and getting to know the fellowship of believers and, and you guys rubbing off on each other kind of naturally in relationship, I mean, you start to learn and grow like, oh, okay, I mean, this is a better way. And you start to change. That's how it happened for me. It did not happen like a flick of the switch. And I would even say, people looking into my life, even though my desires started to change and I wanted to change, I hadn't completely changed yet. Right? I was still living with the same group of roommates that were doing the same things, and I was in a year lease and I couldn't get out yet. Right? And I was like, oh man, this is like, and temptation was all around me. It's like, okay, well, I, I think I got to get out of this place because this isn't good for me, right? You start realizing that, but it takes time, right? And people looking in don't realize that there's a change maybe till years later, right? Sanctification, the working out of your salvation takes time. So be patient with yourself and just remember that we need to relate to society by remembering our Christian duty, right? And the Holy Spirit will work that out in you. So give yourself grace and be patient. Let's keep reading and starting in verse 4. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is, is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. Right, so in verse 3, we were, we were supposed to remember how we were once foolish, but when Jesus Christ appeared, we began to change, right? In verse 5, Paul gets so nitty-gritty and clear here, right? What does he say? He says, God saved us. He, meaning God, 
saved us. God saved us, right? And then he says, not because of works done by us in righteousness, so not because of what you've done, not because of your good works. He saved us not through those things. Has anyone heard someone say, I'm a good person, so I think God will send me to heaven because of that? That happens all the time in our society, right? People think that they just have to be good people and they're going to pop, pop in heaven. I don't know how much more clear Paul can be here because he says he, meaning God, because is the subject from the previous verse in the same sentence. God saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness. So he's very clear. It's not because of us in our works. It's because of God in his work. Good people don't go to heaven. Perfect people saved by the blood of Christ do. You see, God set the bar so high that he knows because of our sinful nature, we cannot achieve salvation for ourselves. He knows that. We can't. Right? That's why he sent his only son, Jesus Christ, who is perfect, to die on the cross as a sacrifice for our sins so that we can be saved. Perfect people saved by the blood of Christ go to heaven. Perfect people, right? So some people might hear that and say, oh, well, I guess I got to be better, right? How do I be better? I got to go serve at the soup kitchen. I got to make sure I vote a certain way. Uh, I got to do this. I got to do that because if I do all these things, then I'm going to go to heaven. No, that's not true. That's not true. You see, the work that has to be done for your salvation is through Jesus Christ and Christ alone on the cross to save you from your sins. That's the work that has to be done. And he's done it. I love to think about, about it this way. On judgment day, when God lines us all up and he's ready to judge us, right? I'm going to be sitting there or standing, I don't, I don't even know. Uh, well, it, picture a court. I guess the court, they usually sit on the right if they're in the stand or maybe down there. So they're probably sitting, you know? The judge, God, is going to stand up and he's going to say, Joe, and he's going to read my report card, all the things that I've done good, all the things that I've done bad. The truth is, he's going to expect perfection. Right? So all the things that I've done bad are all the things that he's going to condemn me for. But guess what? He doesn't condemn me. Because in his love, in my place in that seat, guess who, guess who he sees instead of me? Jesus Christ. That's salvation. That's justification. So he's going to start reading that report card, right? He's going to see, oh, look at all the good things Joe has done. Oh, look at all the bad things. Okay, so he's supposed to go to hell. But guess what? Jesus Christ is standing before me and he starts reading the, all the things that Jesus has done because he lived a perfect life and all the things that he did to save us, which is to die on the cross and resurrect from the dead in place of Joe Novak. That's how God is going to judge me. That is how J God is going to judge you. God is going to judge you by seeing Jesus Christ in your place on the cross. I don't know about you, but that is good news. Perfect people saved by the blood of Christ are the ones that are going to heaven. 
All right. Whew. Let's keep going because our point here is the power of the gospel changes how you relate to society. Okay? The power of the gospel is how you relate to society. I see way too many Christians today seeing their good works and all the good things that Mission View Church does or blah, blah, blah church does and see we serve in this, this thing, right? And us in our Christian bubble, we start comparing ourselves to other, other people, right? And we start comparing ourselves even to our neighbors who don't do these things, right? They don't go to church on Sunday. They don't serve over here at the teachers and the, the conference. They don't serve in, at a food pantry, right? And Christians start saying all these things that they do do that are good. And they start forgetting that the people that are lost... And the power of the gospel is really what saves? Well, why does this happen? We do this way too much because we forget that we need to be compassionate for the lost. We need to not raise ourselves up on a pedestal in the place of, wow, we're better than them. That is the last thing we're called to do as Christians. Because remember where we've came from. We were once foolish, Right? We were once foolish. So what does that do? That should give us compassion. That should give us motivation to trust the power of the gospel, even in people that we can see are doing really bad things. God can save anybody. So if anyone has a reason to be compassionate on the lost, it's us. We are not better than anybody. That's how Mission View Church needs to view North Canton. That's how Mission View Church needs to view Stark County. That's how Mission View Church needs to view every community in the entire world. That's how we need to view everybody because we are not better than them and we need to bring the power of the gospel to them and we should have compassion on them. The power of the gospel changes how you relate to society. When you start becoming prideful on some of these things, you know what that does? It completely stunts your mission. Mission View Church, we have a mission to make disciples. And if you think you've arrived and you're viewing everyone else down here and you're better than all of them, you're not going to make disciples because you're not going to want to be around them because you're going to be like, ah, I'm, I'm up here, they're down here, I don't want to be, I got to go be with my people that are up here. That, will, that pride will stunt our mission and that thought here at Mission View Church cannot be here. We will not move. We will not grow. We will not bring the gospel to the lost. So please, if you hear Satan whispering these lies in your mind, cast them out. Cast them out. All right. Titus 3. We're going to start reading in verse 9. This is point number 3. But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful. He is self-condemned. Point number three is relate to society by displaying biblical unity. We need to display biblical unity. So how do we do that? Well, there's t- there are times where we might need to step away from relationships 
Why? To protect our witness. We need to step away from relationships to protect our witness. Ministry can be something that can drift. Our witness can drift easily. How does this happen? When we allow people in our church to cause divisions, right? That's what this is talking about. It it, it gives a list of how people cause divisions, right? Avoid foolish controversies, arguing about genealogies, dissensions, quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. These things cause divisions in our church. And so what does this look like? Let's use some of Mission View's language to explain this, right? We talk about spine issues and rib issues a lot, right? This might look like somebody in our church who might constantly be bringing up rib issues, something that we don't see as foundational to the gospel and salvation, right? And so these rib issues, you know, might be opposite of what we believe here at Mission View. And if someone keeps bringing that up, they're, they're kind of causing division, right? Because they're stirring up something that we, we have said we don't believe in that. And if you're here, we, you know, we just don't. And we're happy and we welcome you. We want you to be here. But when, but, but when we keep bringing up these rib issues, it might cause some divisions or, or cause little sex over here and people are, believe this over here but not over here, um, whatever it is. And the rib issues, you know, you can go read them on our website and things like that. I'm not going to get into it right now. But there's a lot of stuff like that that if we keep bringing up and questioning these things, it's, it's kind of like a, a quarrel of something like it's already been laid out by our elders and our leadership. It's laid out. This is what we believe the Bible says on this issue. This is our theology, and this is the way we will worship. And because of that, this is where we are. And so if someone keeps trying to change that outside of the circle of talking to leadership and stuff like that, it can be divisive, right? And so there's a very clear list of what is supposed to happen, right? And let me just say this list is not for everybody in this church, This list even isn't necessarily for me. It's for our elders. I'm not an elder, right? And so our elders, I'm so happy that our elders are here because they are wise. God has called them here to do a work for our church, right? And so three things are supposed to happen. You can see it um, in verse number 10. A person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice have nothing more to do with him, right? So first, an elder is supposed to go to them and say, hey, you know, when, when this issue keeps coming up, you know, we've, we've already heard this. This is our answer. We've explained this, uh, and we appreciate that you care and, and love, but uh, this is your warning. Like, don't stir these divisions up more, right? Um, this, is, this is kind of where God has called Mission View Church through the eldership and the leadership, and this is where we're moving. This is the direction we're going in, right? So, one, it's a warning, and then if they continue, it's warned them twice, and if it still continues, it's okay. Lastly, have nothing more to do with this person, right? So, that's quite extreme, but remember, this is not done among, like, I can't just go in my community group and say, hey, this person keeps bringing this up, I'm going to warn them once. No, 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 I'm not an elder, right? And neither are a lot of us. So, this is for our elders to do, right? Titus 1 started with talking about how we should appoint elders, and this is for the, some things are specific for elders to be doing. So they have a very clear list on what they should do, which is easy. But let me, let me go to this, uh, because I think a big point here is we want to uh, fight for biblical unity. 
So what does that look like for all of us? Because the elders have a specific task to do. What does that look like for all of us? Well, we must avoid comparison. Right? The reason why we get into these debates about, you know, quarreling and whatever it is, is because we start comparing ourselves to maybe other churches that believe differently than us. We start comparing ourselves to each other. Now, we need to not compare and try to try to move us in a direction that isn't the one God is calling us, Mission View Church, specifically to. Right? So that's how you practically do that. We need to celebrate other people's successes and be heartbroken over their losses instead of have jealousy of their victories and condemnation over their failures. Did you catch that? Let me say that one more time. We need to celebrate other people's successes and be heartbroken over their losses instead of have jealousy over their victories and condemnation over their failures. I bring this up because that is not an easy way to behave. That is not an easy thing to just, like, do. Or it might be easier to do, but it's a lot harder to think about it, right? So Matthew chapter 5, on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus goes to all these sins. I mean, I see all sins equally. Even he goes to your thoughts, right? You can sin with your mind. So when I say this comparison idea, you might be able to put on a smiling face when you see someone really succeed in something, right? And then compare yourself, wow, I'm not that, and be super jealous when you get home, right? This is, God would call that a sin, right? Comparison is at the thought level, right? And when this starts coming out, it starts coming out as passive aggression. It can be bad where you start you know, distancing yourself from somebody because that person doesn't make you feel good. These are things that Satan uses in our minds to try to divide us. And this is extremely dangerous for how we are supposed to be witnessing to the community around us. We need to fight for biblical unity here amongst ourselves. If we let Satan put those things in our mind and let it grow, it's not going to be good, right? So we need good friends to hold us accountable, to fight against these thoughts in our minds. We need to fight against comparison and fight for biblical unity. We need to do that here. All right, the very end of this verse, it talks about how a person is self-condemned, right? We're supposed to kind of not have anything more to do with that person, and this person is self-condemned. Well, what does that mean, right? Well, it does not mean that they're losing their salvation. It does not mean that, if anyone's mind jumped to that. It does not mean they're losing their salvation. But what does it mean? I want to read this quote for you. It says, The factitious person who is twisted by his constant sinning will manifest his wicked condition by his own words and actions, thereby becoming self-condemned. Right? They're just manifesting that in their own hearts, there is a wickedness about them that they can't, they don't have the Holy Spirit to fight against these wicked thoughts of comparison and jealousy, whatever it is. Now they're causing these divisions, 
right? And so they're self-deceived, right? They're here worshiping and they're self-deceived because they're just bringing up all this division into the church and they're not keeping in step with the Holy Spirit, right? So they're not self-condemned in their regard of salvation. This isn't even talking about salvation, really. It's they're self-condemned in regard to uh, they're putting themselves in a place that is not in a good uh, like church membership type status. They're kind of condemning themselves towards the work in the ministry uh, of, let's say, here at Mission View Church. So, don't forget, verse 8 is the key to all of this. These things are excellent and profitable for all people. Right? When we do all these things, right, remember our Christian duty through the power of the gospel, this all brings biblical unity. And we do all these things because this is how we are called by Paul through his writing the letter to Titus in, the Cre- in Crete. This is how we are supposed to relate to North Canton and Stark County and the surrounding area. This is how we do it. That's our big idea this morning. Relate to society by remembering your Christian duty through the power of the gospel, which brings biblical unity. Now, we have a couple more verses. I wish I had more time to go through all these names and who Paul is referring to. I wish I had the time to preach more and explain more biblical uh, things here, but we don't, and that's okay. And this is the the last week of our uh, lasting leadership series. But what Paul is doing here to end is really cool in my mind because he names people. He's not in Crete, but he was there, right? He planted a church there, and he left Titus to serve that church, to appoint elders, and then to do these things. How do, how do the Christians behave amongst themselves? How do the Christians behave and relate to the society around them? He wrote a long letter full of details. And man, I am so impressed how detailed and how um, into the details he is with everything he's doing in leading this church. And it, it shows here at the end because he starts naming names of people traveling and you know coming to serve the church and things like that. So I'm going to read it. But really at the end, his lasting charge is really a benediction, it's called. Something where he wants to leave this last thought to you. So I'm going to read it. Just pay attention and listen. And then I will pray, um, and the band will come up, and we'll begin to worship. So here's the last couple of verses. When I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come, come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Do your best to speed Zenus, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing, and let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. All who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. And grace be with you all. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your word that teaches and admonishes. The word that is so clear on how we must behave and be in our society. Lord, help us, Mission View Church, be a tremendous witness and light to our community to North Canton, the surrounding area, Stark County, to all the regions surrounding us. Help all of us who go into our workplaces um, behave in this way, be compassionate, 
Move our hearts to be compassionate to the lost that we work with. Move our hearts to be compassionate to the lost which we see on a daily basis. Help us to love them, to share the gospel with them, and give us opportunities to bring them uh, into our church and share the word with them and share how God is even changing our lives. Give us those opportunities this week. We ask all these things in your name.